our Bible reading tonight is Matthew 25, 1 to 13. So if you have your Bibles, you can follow along. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Evening, everyone. Uh, My name is Mark, if I haven't met you before, one of the pastors here. Great to have you guys with us, especially if you're visiting us tonight, if you're new, just checking us out. Let me say welcome. Uh, You've joined us for the beginning of a new sermon series on uh, three of the parables that Jesus told. So great time to get on board and to dip your toe into what life at WBC is like. Uh, This is wonderful on New Year's Day that you guys are here. Uh, No better way to start the year, I reckon, than focusing our hearts and our minds on our Lord and God thinking about what he would have for us this year. Uh, so why don't we pray, and then we'll start having to think about that passage that Sarah's just read out. Will you join me? Let's pray. Uh, loving Father, thank you so much that you are a God who speaks. Thank you that you spoke the universe into existence. Uh, thank you, Father, that by your word you bring new life. Thank you, Father, for your word incarnate, the Lord Jesus, who you sent to earth to reveal yourself to us. And thank you, Father, that you still speak today through your word recorded to us in Scripture. Uh, Lord, as we uh, sit under this parable today, please help us to hear your voice. Help us to know what you are saying to us in this parable so that we might know how to respond in faith and obedience. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, It's an awful thing to find yourself uh, unprepared for a future event that you knew was coming. Do you know what I'm talking about? Finding yourself unprepared for an event that you knew was on the horizon. I wonder if you've ever had that dream, that dream where you go to school or you go to uni and you've somehow managed to forget that today there was going to be a test. And it's a test that you haven't studied for at all. Do you know that kind of a dream? That kind of a dream is a nightmare in my, uh, my world. Uh, Psychologists say that that's actually one of the most common dreams that people have, uh, finding yourself unprepared for a test. Uh, I know that for myself, I still occasionally get the dream where it's the day of my HSC maths exam, and I turn over the paper and I can't even make sense of the symbols in front of me, let alone answer any questions. And that's despite the fact that my HSC exams were half my lifetime ago, I still freak out at the prospect of finding myself unprepared for an event like that. Do you know what I mean? Uh, Far worse than just having kind of dreams or worries about finding yourself 
unprepared is when that sort of situation actually comes true in real life. Have you ever had that happen to you? Uh, I have really vivid memories of my year six swimming carnival. At my year six swimming carnival, I quite foolishly decided to sign myself up for every swimming race that I could possibly get my name on the list for. And so as my name was called and I stepped onto those blocks to dive into the water, I stood there blissfully ignorant of how unprepared I was for what was about to follow. You see, I grew up in England, some of you know that, and growing up in England uh, means that swimming is not a life skill that ranks particularly highly on the list of important things to learn. And so as I stood there on those blocks about to jump in the water, I was in no danger of drowning, but there was absolutely Buckley's chance that I was going to make it to the end of the pool that day. And so uh, at three, two, one, go, I dived into the water, and as my head came up from underneath, it was at that moment that I realized, you know what, I actually don't know how to swim breaststroke, so what am I doing here? And so I doggy paddled off to the side and climbed out the ladder as quickly as I could, and the embarrassment of that moment, finding myself unprepared, it still pains me when I think about it. You know that kind of embarrassment that still pains you after all those years? It's an awful thing to find yourself unprepared for an event which you knew was coming. Nobody wants to get exposed like that, do they? And so maybe today, January the 1st, maybe you are like me and you're actually really excited about the fact that it's January 1st because if nothing else, it means that today you get to open up and dust off and start using your brand new 2017 calendar. Do you have a, a diary that you've just begun today uh, so that you can start organizing your life, preparing yourself for what's ahead? Back at my house, I have uh, a desk, and next to my desk, I have a big yearly calendar where I write down every single appointment, every single responsibility, everything that I have to do in one place, and I color code it with texters and post-it notes, and I love it because it allows me, at a glance, to know what I need to be preparing myself for now in light of what's coming up in my future. I don't want to get caught unprepared and unready, and I'm sure that that kind of feeling is something that every one of us resonate with in one way or another, whether it's preparing for a test at uni, preparing for a swimming race, preparing for any responsibility in your life. We all get the sense that we do actually need to be prepared today for what we're going to face tomorrow. We get that, right? I wonder, though, do we have that same attitude when it comes to our Christian faith? Do we have that same kind of preparedness when it comes to our relationship with God? Are we just as diligent in preparing ourselves spiritually for what is ahead of us? Or maybe are we a little bit lax? Do we tend to just kind of take each day as it comes with no real forethought and no real planning? Uh, that's the question, in a sense, that we are going to be thinking about tonight. Whether we are prepared, whether we are ready for what is ahead of us in our Christian walk. And I think that today is a really great time for us to consider that question. Uh, before our calendars and our diaries get too full up, before matters of faith start to get sidelined into the margins of our year, uh, my hope today is that God might challenge each and every one of us to be better prepared spiritually for 2017 than we were for 2016 or for any year in our life for that matter. And so what we're going to do to think about this topic of spiritual preparedness, we're going to look at that parable that Sarah read out for us a minute ago, the parable of the ten virgins. 
But before we really start pulling it apart, it's worth just saying a few things about parables because we are spending the next three weeks looking at this type of literature. Uh, essentially, if you don't know, a parable is, is a fictitious story that conveys a lesson. That's essentially what it is. The word parable, you see, is made up of two other uh, smaller Greek words. The word para, which means beside or next to, and the word balo, which means to throw. And so the word parable literally means something that is thrown alongside. That's what the word parable means. And the idea is that you throw a story alongside a truth in order to help explain that truth. That's what Jesus does when he tells his parables. They are like teaching aids. Uh, you could maybe even think of them as like extended analogies. You might have heard the, like, the common definition of a parable, and this might be helpful for you to remember, that a parable is like an earthly story that conveys a heavenly meaning. Maybe that's helpful as we go into this sermon series. And one little caution before we delve into it is that we do have to be careful when we read parables because there is a tendency that we can have to kind of look for symbolic spiritual meaning in every minute detail of the story. Uh, but that's not really how parables are designed to work. Parables as a whole usually just convey like one or two, maybe even three major points. And it's, it's the big picture of the story that is supposed to inform you, not the minute details. You're not supposed to kind of press the metaphor too hard because it starts to break down. And that's what separates a parable from an allegory. The details don't matter so much. And by their nature, parables, if you've, if you've ever read any of Jesus' parables, they are kind of enigmatic. They're a bit tricky to understand sometimes. Their meaning can be elusive. And so here's one tip. Generally, when you read a parable, the meaning of the parable isn't just going to come out of left field. The meaning of the parable is not going to be unrelated to the stuff around the parable in that section of the Bible. No, parables usually convey a similar meaning to the stuff that's just happened before or after it. The context is really important. And so as we start to think about this parable of the ten virgins today from Matthew 25, the question we have to ask as we approach it is, well, what's the kind of the broader issue? What's going on in Matthew's gospel in chapter 25 so that we know what this parable today is probably going to be talking about? Well, the answer to that question, the context question, is really quite clear because in Matthew's gospel, what's happened so far is that by the end of chapter 23, Jesus has just concluded a massive block of teaching that he's been doing in the temple in Jerusalem. And he's been standing in the temple courts and he's been teaching people about the eventual destruction of the temple. He says that one day all of this is going to be torn down. And he tells people that then he will return. That's what he's been teaching in chapter 23. And the disciples who Jesus has been teaching, they're really intrigued by that topic, by these future events that Jesus has been alluding to. And so they ask Jesus a really good question at the beginning of chapter 24. They say, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? You see, the disciples, they wanted to know God's timetable for the end of the world. They wanted to know the details of when Christ will return. And so what Jesus does then from that point on, chapters 24 and 25 is he starts to teach them about the end of the age. He starts to teach them about his return. And in our parable, he really just focuses in on that event, that one event of his return. You see, the parable today is all about the bridegroom arriving for his wedding feast. It's about the return of Christ. And I think that today, this parable we're going to see, it teaches us three simple lessons about 
the end of the age. And there are three simple lessons that are designed to actually prepare us for that future event. So let's have a look at each of these lessons in turn. Firstly, first thing this parable teaches us is that God will surprise. God will surprise us when Jesus returns. You see, Jesus tells the story of 10 virgins who take lamps to go out and meet the bridegroom. And if we just kind of press pause there, immediately, perhaps as you read through that parable a minute ago, you started to feel a little bit of culture shock because that picture that Jesus is describing is so unfamiliar to us. It's, it's nothing like anything that we have ever seen before. So what is actually going on? Uh, well, what Jesus is describing here is a little window into a first century wedding ceremony. That's what's going on. It's a first century wedding ceremony. And that word that he uses for virgins, 10 virgins, it's just the word that means an unmarried daughter. And so in context, what Jesus is basically saying is that there are these 10 bridesmaids who go out to meet the bridegroom. And just so we understand this, this wedding ceremony a little bit better, what would happen in first century weddings is they would often go for kind of up to a week at a time. There were big deals. And the way it would work is that the, the first part of it, the, the legal ceremony where the, the husband and wife were actually married, that would take place at the bride's family's house. And then once those kind of formal proceedings were finished, the whole wedding party would decamp and go for a walk down the road to the groom's family's house where they would then have that multi-day feast. And the job of the bridesmaids in all of this kind of commotion, you see, was that they were the ones who were supposed to leave the bride's family's house first, go to the groom's family's house, warn them that this mob of hungry people are coming to eat all the food, and then to take their torches and go back out onto the road and to wait for the bridal party to arrive. And so that's the scene. That is the scene that Jesus is describing in this parable. It's after a wedding, and the bridesmaids head out to wait for the groom. And, but we read, don't we, that five of them, five that Jesus calls the foolish bridesmaids, that they didn't bring oil for their lamps. And that turns out to be a problem, verse 5, because the bridegroom is delayed. The bridegroom's delayed. Uh, we're not told why. Maybe it was, there was an overzealous first century wedding photographer who, you know, just demanded a little bit too much of the bride and groom's time. It doesn't matter why. In any case, the delay causes the bridesmaids to all fall asleep. And then we read in verse 6 that at midnight, the cry rings out and the bridegroom arrives suddenly. And so all the bridesmaids wake up and they go out to meet him. And so here is the first lesson for us as we read through this parable. You see, just as the bridesmaids were all surprised by the coming of the groom, they were caught off guard, so we will be surprised at the return of of the Lord Jesus. You know, Jesus actually taught that exact point a little bit earlier in chapter 24. If you have your Bible and you flick back to chapter 24, verse 36, Jesus says this. He says, but about that day or hour, he's talking about his return, about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Here's Jesus' point. We don't know when he will return. Not even the angels know that. Not even the Son himself knows that. Only God the Father knows. We will all be caught unawares by the return of Christ. And so friends, let me say that if you ever, in your travels, hear of somebody 
who claims to know when Christ will return, I can tell you now that they're wrong. Um, Some of you might remember back in 2011, there was a guy who made the news uh, for a little while in the middle of the year, a guy by the name of Harold Camping. Harold Camping was a radio evangelist in California, and he gained mainstream attention when he predicted, based on his research, that Jesus would return on May the 21st, 2011. And I think he even went as far as to predict the exact time of day that Jesus was coming. Now, to be fair, Harold Camping was not the first person to try and predict Jesus' return, and probably won't be the last one either. But what was unique about Harold Camping was that as a result of his organization's marketing campaign, including kind of all these billboards that they put up all over California, Camping managed to attract quite a number of followers to himself. And these followers were busy in the days leading up to May 21st. They spent time praying fervently. A lot of his followers sold all of their possessions and gave away all their money. They spent tireless hours evangelizing out in their communities because they believed that Jesus was coming back on May 21st. Now, some of that behavior, that's commendable, but it's ultimately misguided because as we know, May 21st came and went and Jesus didn't return. And so soon after May 21st, there were a whole slew of other billboards that started to show up in California, billboards that started to ridicule Harold Camping and his prediction. And it goes to show, doesn't it, that no matter how confident we might be, we simply don't know when Jesus will return. We, we don't know. It will be a surprise, as it was for the bridesmaids in the parable. We don't know when Jesus will return, but please don't misunderstand me. We do know, don't we, that Jesus will return. We are sure about that. Uh, I, I actually think that our tendency... Our temptation is probably actually to do the opposite of what Harold Camping did. I think for us here in Wollongong in 2017, I suspect that we are probably tempted to believe that Jesus is nowhere near returning. You know, it's pretty unlikely that Jesus is going to return in my lifetime, isn't it? I mean, it's really slim chances that he's going to return in 2017. The chances that he's going to come back on January 1st, 2017, never going to happen, right? If you're anything like me, then that is the type of thinking that you're in danger of slipping into. And don't you realize that that when we start thinking that way, when we start feeling that way, that what what ends up happening is that all of the urgency is just kind of sapped out of our spiritual life. There's no urgency anymore. We just adopt this kind of, oh yeah, like I'll get to it. I'll obey Jesus if I get round to it. What's the rush? There's no urgency. My holiness, my godliness, There are more important things to deal with at the moment. But doesn't this parable today teach us that that kind of attitude is utterly foolish? We don't know when Jesus will return. All we know is that it will be a surprise. The Apostle Peter says in 2 Peter 3 that Jesus will come like a thief in the night. You know, biblically speaking, from a a biblical worldview, the return of Jesus is the very next thing on God's agenda. It is the next item on his to-do list. He's crossed everything else off. Create the world, tick. Reveal himself to Israel, tick. Redeem mankind through the death of Jesus, tick. What's next? Send his son Jesus back to judge the earth. That's it. That's the only thing left on God's agenda. And so at the risk of stating the obvious to you here, in case you've not already put this together, then 
we need to be prepared for the return of the Lord, don't we? We need to be prepared should he return. So are you ready for that? Are you ready for the return of Jesus? Let me suggest that this truth means that there are some things of great importance which you might be tempted to to put off and to delay dealing with in terms of your godly Christian living, which simply must be dealt with today. They must be dealt with immediately. It is, it is no good for a Christian to say, oh, I know that, that is, there's that sin in my life, but I'll deal with it like in June or something when I get a bit of a break from uni. That's not a Christian attitude. It's no good for a Christian to say, oh yeah, look, I will rekindle my apathetic heart once this deadline passes. That's not a Christian attitude. No, that won't do. If there is an issue that is preventing you from being ready to meet the Lord, then you must deal with it immediately because you do not know when he will return. The lesson here, friends, is that the only way to be ready for that final day is to be ready every day. Have you grasped that? The only way to be ready for that final day is to be ready every day. We've got to deal with areas of sin and apathy in our lives right now. There's no delay. The bridegroom is returning and he will catch us by surprise. So we must be ready. That's the first lesson. God will surprise. The second lesson is that God will expose. God will expose the truth when Christ returns. Uh, You see, in the parable, this unexpected coming of the bridegroom, it reveals something that would have otherwise been concealed. You know, all 10 of the bridesmaids, they sleep, but five of them have taken their preparation far more seriously than the other five. And that fact is now revealed. It's open. Uh, Verse 8, the foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. You see, half of them hadn't come prepared for the task at hand. They had no oil to burn in their lamps. Now, I don't think at this point we're supposed to start kind of speculating and trying to figure out what this oil refers to and what these lamps are supposed to be. I think they're just plot devices to illustrate their lack of preparedness. They are, these bridesmaids, they are unable to perform the function that they were called to do. They are unable to fulfill that role of serving the bridegroom. And verse 9, now they have no chance to borrow oil. It's too late for them to obtain it at the last moment. And you see what's so shocking about this revelation. What's so shocking is that by all appearances, these five foolish bridesmaids were just as legitimate as the five wise ones. If you had looked at them, you wouldn't have been able to tell the difference. They would have been wearing the right clothes. They would have been holding their wedding invitation. They would have known the location of the feast. They look like they were just as much a part of the wedding party as anyone else. And yet, when the bridegroom arrives, their true colors are shown. They're not ready for his arrival. They are, in fact, imposters. Uh, In November uh, this year, a story was reported about uh, two Australian guys who managed to trick their way into a golf tournament in North Korea uh, by fooling the officials of the tournament into thinking that they were the official Australian national golfing team. Uh, P.S. they weren't. Uh, These two men, what they did though, is that they got fake official blazers made up. 
they attended the kind of official international delegation duties during this two-day tournament, but their cunning plan it started to unravel the moment that they hit the golf course and they revealed themselves to be uh, very substandard golfers. One of them, I think, uh, is quoted as saying that he apparently shot 48 over par, which is not really going to get you very far in an international tournament. You see, they were imposters. And in the moment of truth, they were revealed for who they really were. And this parable is saying to us that it is going to be the exact same thing that happens within the church when Jesus returns. There will be some people who look like they are ready for the return of Jesus, but they actually aren't. There are going to be some people who have all of the outward signs of a a genuine saving relationship with Christ. They know all of the Christian vocabulary. They're here every week on Sundays. They give their money to the right organizations. but, But the one thing the one thing that actually makes someone ready for the return of Jesus, the one crucial ingredient, faith, will be missing. They will be exposed, these people. Hebrews 4 tells us that on that day, everything will be uncovered and the secrets of our hearts will be laid bare before him to whom we must give an account. At the return of Christ, God will expose And thirdly, when Jesus returns, God will divide. God will divide when Jesus returns. Verses 10 to 12 says this. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. You see, this unexpected coming of the bridegroom, which exposes the secrets of men and women's hearts, will also make a separation. God will divide. He will separate the wheat from the chaff. Once every truth has been revealed in every human heart, some people will be welcomed into the wedding feast to celebrate with God for all eternity, and some people will be kept outside. The door will be shut And the bridegroom will say those chilling words, truly I tell you, I don't know you. God will divide. Do you see on what basis he's going to divide though? What is it that he's going to differentiate these two groups? It's not the fact that one group slept and one group didn't. No, 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 both groups slept. It's not the fact that some of the bridesmaids were actually invited and some of them were not really invited. They were gate crashes. No, that's not it. They were all legitimate. It's not that some of them were eager to meet the groom and some of them didn't really care for him. No, they all wanted to meet the groom. It's not even that some of them didn't want to be at the feast. No, they clearly all wanted to be at the feast. The the hammering on the door there in verse 11 reveals that fact. It's one of the most heartbreaking images in any story that Jesus tells. Now, the, the issue that separates them is whether or not they are prepared to meet the bridegroom. That's it. That's the deciding factor. Do you have the one thing that he is looking for? Do you have faith? Because on that final day, faith is the only thing that will count for anything. And so this parable, it really does come as a warning to anyone who would base their assurance on anything other than simple faith. This parable is a warning to the religious person who says, well, perhaps my church going will get me in on that final day. 
this parable is a, a warning to the moral person who says, oh, look, my integrity has got to impress God somewhat, doesn't it? This parable is a warning to the person who comes from a Christian home and who assumes, well, look, my family legacy will get me in. If, if you are one of those people, then please, please hear this warning from Jesus loud and clear that unless there is a saving relationship, a real relationship with him, saving faith in him, then there will be no place for us in his kingdom. He will shut the door on us. There is no fooling God. He will expose and he will divide according to our faith. So those are the three lessons that this parable teaches us. God will surprise, God will expose, and God will divide. Now that's quite a heavy kind of wake-up call for us to deal with on January 1st. I will confess that. But I hope that as you've heard this tonight, you will understand and you'll agree that this is a really important thing for us to feel the weight of. Because it's not until we feel the seriousness of what's actually at stake here that we can actually start to respond appropriately to this warning. What is, what is the response that Jesus wants us to have to all of this? Well, it's, it tells us there clear as day in verse 13. He says, therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Watchfulness. That's the correct response if we've heard and understood Jesus this evening. Jesus wants us to keep focused on the events in our future, the event of his return and he wants us to ready ourselves now so that we are prepared to meet the demands of that day uh, i asked you the question at the beginning of whether we are ready for what lies ahead of us in our christian faith lest we be caught unprepared and i think now we're finally at the point where each of us is equipped to answer that question for ourselves if you want to be ready for that day are you fighting for your faith today as we begin a new year today, have you made plans to build and grow your faith this year? Or are you just hoping that it'll happen? Uh, that's what it means to be ready and watchful, that we, we would prioritize our faith. It's no good just to take each day as it comes and with no real forethought or planning. You know, maybe this year is going to be good for my faith. Maybe it'll be bad for my faith. We'll see what happens. No, no, no. The cold hard truth, friends, is that when it comes to our faith, there is no standing still. Not, not a single one of us in this room is standing still in regards to our faith today. We are either moving forwards or we are moving, moving backwards. We are either being strengthened or being weakened in our faith. We are either growing deeper in our knowledge of and love for God or we're slipping away from him. There's no standing still. And so every single one of us, myself included, needs to work at our faith day by day. So how are you going at that? Uh, I want to close tonight by suggesting that today, right here, right now, would be a great opportunity for you to make a resolution, to decide, to commit, to take a practical step forward this year in investing in your faith. Today would be a great day to do that whilst your calendar is still relatively empty. Now is the time to prove yourself to be one of the wise who is ready for the return of the bridegroom. So how might you do that? What kind of practical steps might you choose to take this year to grow your faith? Well, there are just countless ways. Uh, 
You could, for instance, decide tonight that you are going to embark on a year-long Bible reading plan. You could decide to read the entire Bible in a year because you want to know your God better and you want to know how to love him better. That would be a great thing to do. Better yet, you could decide to do that with a friend. You could decide to meet up regularly throughout the year, pray with a friend, encourage that friend in their growth. That would be a wonderful step that you could take. Uh, You could decide, for instance, that this is going to be the year, after all the years, that you join a home group. Maybe it's going to mean for you that you have to cut out something else in your life. You have to lose another commitment. But in light of Christ's unexpected return, maybe you're convinced that that's actually a worthwhile thing to do. Uh, Maybe it's time for you to find someone to mentor you this year. You know, an older, wiser Christian who's going to walk with you through all of the challenges and difficulties of following Jesus each day. That'll be a great step to take. Better yet, maybe it's time for you to mentor someone else, someone younger than you, to invest in their faith. I want to tell you that we're actually going to be running some mentoring training later in term one. And so if that's something that interests you, then watch this space. We'll have some details for you soon. Maybe this is going to be the year for your faith where you are finally going to deal with all of those doubts, all of that baggage that you have been lugging around with you your whole Christian life. You're going to put it to bed once and for all. That would be a great step to take. Or Maybe now is simply the time that you have to make a decision to stop playing games with Jesus, to stop trying to fool God, to take him seriously, to obey him as your Lord and Saviour, Heaven forbid, maybe you are even going to start sharing the gospel with your friends and family and neighbors. Those are just some suggestions, and that list is far from exhaustive. I'm sure you guys will have many other creative answers uh, to what steps you might take. But what is it going to be for you? You have to have an answer to that question. In fact, if you had to try and finish this sentence here tonight, how would you do it? To be prepared for Jesus' return in 2016, I will. How are you going to answer that question? To be prepared for Jesus' return in 2016, I will. I will what? How are you going to answer that question? I put it to you that that would be a great question for you to ask somebody else here tonight at supper after church. Friends, Jesus is returning. We don't know when, but when he does, he will expose the truth of our hearts and divide people according to their faith. And please understand that Jesus loves you enough to warn you about that so that you would be ready for that day. So are you ready for that day? Are you ready today? Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you that your son Jesus is coming and coming soon. God, we long for the day when Christ descends from the heavens and his glory is revealed to the whole earth. We long for that day when you will bring history to a close and bring us to be with yourself. And Lord, we we know and we trust that that day is closer now than the day when we first believed. And Father, we hear this warning from Jesus' lips clearly tonight. So please help us to be ready for that day by being ready every day. Uh, Lord, for each one of us sitting here tonight, please give us wisdom, give us boldness, give us courage by your Holy Spirit 
that we might know what steps of faith you would have us to take this year. Help us to not be complacent and to assume that our faith is going to stay strong. Help us to labor and strive and sweat and bleed if necessary for the growth of our faith. Lord, we know that there is nothing more precious in the universe in light of that final day. So help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.